Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java junkies. Are you interested in breaking into the sales side of cloud-based services? Then this is the episode for you because my next guest has over 10 years of revenue leadership experience and has helped to build two $50 million plus companies. That's an annual recurring revenue in the SaaS space. But before I introduce you to Justin Welsh, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays, and it's got unique insights into dozens of different industries from the professionals who are actually working in them. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Justin Welsh, operator, advisor, and executive mentor to small and medium-sized businesses, which sell some form of cloud-based service, also known as software as a service or SaaS. With over 10 plus years of revenue leadership experience, Justin has helped to build two $50 million annual recurring revenue companies, teams of 150 plus people, and he's helped to raise over $300 million in venture capital. Most recently, Justin worked at Patient Pop, a healthcare marketing platform, and he helped go from $0 in revenue to $51 million plus in recurring annual revenue and built the sales organization from one to 150 people in just four and a half years. In August of 2019, Justin left his full-time executive role at Patient Pop to open a boutique advisory company to partner with early stage, small, medium, and large, no, just small and medium SaaS founders to help them lay the correct foundation for growth, see around corners, avoid expensive mistakes, and assemble world-class teams. Prior to Patient Pop, Justin was the 10th employee at New York-based ZocDoc, where he helped build multiple revenue leadership roles over nearly five years. Justin, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated down there in Nashville and ready to go? Andrea, I am as always, and it is so great to be here. I really appreciate you having me on. Well, it's my pleasure. And I know that your bio highlights the fact that you love drinking craft beer. But what about coffee? Are you a Java lover? I am. My wife and I love a coffee called Pinon Coffee from New Mexico that her parents 
they turned us on to. And so, yeah, we, we drink probably a little bit too much coffee in the morning. And then I'm a one cup a day in the afternoon type of guy. Okay. Well, my kind of guy, if Java is in the picture and that one sounds super interesting, I have never heard of it. So I will add it to the list. For the purposes of our espresso shots, Justin, I'm going to frame all of these questions around those who want to break into sales in the software as service industry, in the SaaS industry. Does that work for you? That works great. Happy to be as helpful as possible. Okay. So first espresso shop, what are the entry level jobs, Justin, that are available to young people who want to break into sales in the SaaS space? Yeah, the most common uh, role is called SDR, which stands for Sales Development Representative. And what a sales development representative does is they help more senior salespeople, so folks who have been at the company for a while, set up opportunities to close business for the company. So you might have a sales professional who's at the business for three or four years who is tasked with signing up new customers. And the sales development representative supports that person. And they support that person by helping schedule them some meetings, qualifying some leads. So maybe your company does some marketing or advertising online and you get some leads of potentially interested prospects. These young men and women will help qualify those prospects and make sure that they're a really good fit to have a conversation with a salesperson to help bring new customers into the fold. And so that's the most common role for entry-level folks coming out of college looking to get in the sales profession inside of SaaS or software as a service. And I should have started off by asking you, Justin, how is sales in the SaaS space similar to or different from sales in other aspects of or other types of businesses? Yeah, great question. There are kind of two types of selling right now. There's SaaS, which is starting to really become the dominant market. And SaaS is pretty simple. It just means that you're buying software in the cloud on a subscription model. So you're buying software like Netflix and paying for it every month as a subscription. And the other type of selling is generally considered on-premise, where it means you're selling a big piece of equipment or a physical good that you pay for upfront. So rather than paying a subscription, you pay for it in one fell swoop. And I think the difference is just simply educating customers on that new model. So let me give you an example, Andrea. I sold at my last business to healthcare providers, so doctors. And doctors are used to buying equipment and paying for it upfront, paying a one-time purchase price. They are not familiar with paying a subscription. They might do that in their personal life with something like Netflix, as I mentioned before, but rarely have they purchased software for their business in that way. So it's up to folks like me and the people on my team to help educate them on to why software as a service is a benefit to their business and why a subscription model is the most helpful for their practice. Gotcha. Okay. That was a great explanation. Thank you so much. Justin, what are useful hard and soft skills that you've looked for over the years in hiring the young people that you hire for those SDR roles? Yeah, I think the two that stand out to me are coachability and curiosity. I think curiosity is probably the number one for me because when I found that young men and women are curious, 
that sort of takes care of a lot of things. They naturally are doing their research on your company or your industry or your product. They ask a lot of questions, so they're learning very quickly. And just overall, they naturally have this inquisitive mindset where they want to get better every single day. So when I'm looking at young men and women to join my company, I'm often looking for someone who's really curious by nature. And that usually comes out in the interview from the types of questions they ask me. So if they ask a lot of questions, they ask really good questions, I can tell generally that they're very curious. Once I know that someone is curious, the second skill that's really helpful is coachability. And coachability is just like what it sounds. It means trying something, getting feedback from myself or the manager or one of the leadership team members, and having an open mind to go back and try it differently the next time based on the coaching. And if someone is coachable, they will learn over time from their manager. They will get new skills from listening to folks who have done it before them. And when you pair someone who's very coachable up with that curiosity or that instinct to always learn more, to me, that is just a winning combination. Super interesting that both of those are soft skills. So does that mean there really aren't hard skills that are a prerequisite as far as you're concerned? Some leaders may say that there are, but frankly, I hire people for intrinsics. I hire people for those soft skills that I just talked about. Because to me, selling is a skill that is built over time. It's like swinging a baseball bat or shooting a basketball or anything else, any other sports related metaphor that I can think of. And so what I care about is the person. I care about that curiosity, that coachability, that positive energy. Those are things that I want to see in my hires because I trust that myself and my leadership team can train them on the skills to become successful salespeople. They just have to have the right positive mental attitude, the right ability to be coached, and that curious and inquisitive mind. If they have those three things, the rest should be much easier than if they don't. Related to this, Justin... Do you think that people who might identify as an extrovert versus an introvert or vice versa are better suited to this field? I do. I've actually found that introverts make really excellent salespeople. And the reason why is that introverts, in my opinion, spend a lot of time watching and listening. And I think that is a really important piece of learning extroverts tend to do more talking. And more talking means you're listening and observing less. And I know that might seem backwards. Oftentimes people will tell me, I want to go into sales because I'm a people person. But the best salespeople that I know are listeners. And listening often comes with introversion. So I often look for introverts when I'm interviewing future salespeople. Totally unexpected answer. I am so glad I asked you. What about someone's major, Justin? Is it a deciding factor to get into sales in the SaaS space? In other words, if they haven't studied fill in the blank, is it a deal breaker? Never. No, I don't think about hiring people based on their major. I think about hiring people based on so many other things outside of their major. I would rather hiring a salesperson hire someone with a biology background that did extracurricular activities that showed me that they could manage their time 
that they had increased responsibility, that they took leadership opportunities inside of their collegiate lifetime versus someone who majored in the more common things like marketing or business that have no extracurricular activities. So what I'm looking for are future leaders. I'm looking for people who are going to plug into my organization and grow within it. And the thing that's most common for those folks are those extracurricular activities that I see during their college years. And what about a GPA? Do you care? I don't. No, I I don't. I think that there is a baseline competency or level of intelligence that's required to be a, a good salesperson. I think you have to understand people, but GPAs don't measure that. GPAs don't measure how you understand people and they don't actually measure intelligence. GPAs measure your ability to digest information and regurgitate said information in a certain sort of format. And I think that's what school teaches. Sales is very different than that. Sales is working on the fly to solve customer problems. That requires a different type of mindset that I don't normally see captured inside of someone's GPA. Great insight. What about a grad school degree, Justin? And this is less so for somebody who's looking for an SDR role, an entry-level position into this field, more so for somebody who would like to get into the C-suite, would like to have their own company one day. And if you think there is a degree that would be valuable, what do you think the most useful ones to get would be? Yeah, I think the most valuable degree is the degree of doing things. And so what I mean by that is the most successful C-suite operators and leaders that I've worked with don't have an MBA. They don't have a graduate degree. They've worked their way up from the bottom all the way to the top. And they have that internal equity, that internal knowledge, and they have that experience. And to me, and you probably see this throughout the course of my answers, that experience, that doer mentality, that ability to have a bias towards action, all of that is more important to me than three initials after your name, a piece of paper, or some extra classes. I'd rather work through a significant challenge with someone who has that experience and has a lot of those soft skills that we talked about. The school of hard knocks. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. So what about life experiences? These are the experiences like those that you alluded to, the extracurriculars, how somebody spends their free time, whether it's volunteering, part-time jobs, traveling, growing up as a middle child or the youngest in a family. What kind of life experiences, Justin, do you think are the most useful ones for someone either to have or to try to cultivate who wants to start out in this field? Yeah, I love folks who have two things in their experience. One is a propensity for some risk. And what I mean by that is I love to see that guy or gal who has graduated college and before they started off at another company, they took a swing at building their own. They tried to build something in e-commerce or they tried to build a course or sold shoes on the internet or any attempt to build something on their own to me is seen as having a higher propensity for taking some risks. Most people graduate college and get a job immediately. I love to see that entrepreneurial spirit. That to me means that I can hire that person and they will have some of those soft skills, specifically that curiosity and that coachability that we talked about. So I love, I love to see that. 
And the second thing that I love to see in someone's experience is what I would call a bias towards action. So traveling's great and doing extracurricular activities are excellent, but tell me something that you created. Tell me about a time that there was nothing you got your hands on it and created something. So maybe that was uh, an opportunity you saw at your college where there wasn't a club for something very specific that you enjoyed and you created it from scratch. Or maybe you started a fraternity or a sorority that didn't exist on campus. Or maybe you like to play chess and there was no chess club, so you began that. I love risk and I love action. And when I see those two things together, what that usually shows me is a motivated young person. Mm. Love it. So, Justin, what is the best part for you of being in the software as a service industry in sales? Yeah, I think the best part is sales is a very, especially SaaS sales, where you're educating this market on a new and changing way to buy software. But sales in general is a very transferable skill. So you can be in sales and understand how to solve people's problems and you can transition into marketing because you understand why people buy things. You can transition into customer success or customer service because you know how to treat someone based on your interactions with them, solving their problems, helping them choose the right software. Or you could leave the company and start your own company. And when you're the CEO of a one-person company, one thing that you have to be able to do is to get your product or your service in front of people who should be buying it. And you know what that is? That's sales. And so by learning how to sell, I truly believe that you give yourself a skill that will support you for the rest of your life. And that's exactly what you're doing right now. You have your own company. You're the operator, advisor, and executive mentor to small and medium-sized businesses that sell some form of cloud-based service, some form of SaaS. So what is the aspect of your current job, Justin, that sucks the most? <laughs> yeah, I would say one aspect, I don't, I don't know if sucks is the right word, but one aspect that is always hard or challenging is watching really, really smart people who have built an incredibly powerful service or product or piece of software who doesn't have that selling skill. Because I know that that product or service should be being used by a much wider audience than is currently using it. And oftentimes when they come to me, they've spent a year or a year and a half or two years trying to get people to buy their service or their product. And they start to believe that it's not a good service or product. But oftentimes, it's just that they don't know how to sell. So when I get on my very first call with early stage founders, so founders who have built a very early business, what sucks is seeing them under a level of stress, having high anxiety, panicking, worrying, thinking that their company isn't going to make it. I would say that that is probably the most painful part of my job. And I would say outside of that as a painful part, as a solopreneur or somebody who supports himself, finding new customers is always challenging. And so one month I may have 10 customers and the next month I might have six. So having a really great game plan for making revenue for my business, supporting my family, that can of course always be filled with stress and anxiety. 
Absolutely. And as a solopreneur, I get it. <laughs> three final, <laughs> three final espresso shots, Justin. What is the best career advice you've ever gotten? Yeah, the, the best career advice that I've ever gotten was play the long game. And I was told that when I was 28 years old. And what that means is don't make all of your decisions based on short-term gain. So if you make $50,000 a year and another company comes to you and says, I'll pay you 55000 you might be very tempted. And given your monetary situation, you know, maybe you have to. But in my opinion, sticking it out, gaining experience, going through challenging responsibilities so that a year from now, you can double your income when you get a promotion. That to me is all about playing the long game. It's accruing a network. It's accruing skills. You're acquiring responsibilities and you're learning. If you're learning and growing at a young age, your income will naturally follow as you grow and get further into your career. Be strategic. That's right. <laughs> okay. Justin, what movies, if any, or talk about SaaS products or companies, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon shows, or books, do you think accurately depict this profession? Yeah, I think there's two that I think about. One is, and it's maybe a funny one, but one is Tommy Boy. I always laugh because, you know, in the movie, Chris Farley gets thrown into the position of salesperson and he has not a lot of skills. He's just been partying at college. And you know what? That's what a lot of young salespeople feel like. You know, they just graduated college, having a great time with their friends. They get thrust into this role and they don't really know how to start. And so if you watch that movie, it shows how he learns gradually over time by making mistakes. He has epiphanies. He has a partner. All those things happen, maybe in, in not such a silly or funny way in the real world, but all of those things definitely happen. So I think that's a great encapsulation of early salespeople in their roles. And if I had to maybe go a little bit higher level, I would say, as you go to build companies in software as a service or startup technology, it's hard. And it's a collection of smart men and women coming together to solve challenges, but things go off the rails all of the time. And you have to be creative, you have to be courageous, you have to be organized, and you got to take some chances. And a great show is HBO's Silicon Valley. Of course, it's not as silly as that in real life, but watching them solve these crazy challenges and their software breaking and them trying to fix it before huge conferences is actually a pretty good look at what it's like to build a software business from the ground up. Mm. First of all, love Tommy Boy. It's such a funny movie. Chris Farley is hysterical and also love Silicon Valley. You are the second guest today, Justin, to mention it as a great show relating to their careers or their industry. So it is, it's worth your time, no matter what you're interested in, because it is very funny. Definitely. So last espresso shot, what would Java junkies be surprised to learn about this industry? Yeah. Wow. That's a great question. I think the thing that they would be surprised to learn about the industry is maybe the lack of traditional resources in SaaS. So let, let me give you an example of what I mean by that, Andrea. If you were to graduate college 
and go into an older business. So IBM or Hewlett Packard or a company like Paychex or one of those companies that's been around for hundreds of years running the same process, you're going to have that support. You're going to have marketing materials. You're going to have training materials. You're going to have a buddy system. There's going to be all those things to ensure your success. SaaS tends to be a younger industry. It tends to be younger and smaller companies, startup companies that are just figuring it out. And so when you join, and this may sound like a negative thing, but to me, it's a positive. There aren't as many resources. There isn't as much support. And you might say to yourself, well, how could that be a positive? It's because it really forces you to be creative, to be resourceful, to solve problems. And if you can do that at 21, 22, 23, by the time you're my age, you're going to be much better at solving problems than your friends who went into these larger companies with more resources and more support. So that's that's my take on it. You know what that reminds me of, Justin? It reminds me of what some folks I know who I've interviewed who are in the political space say about joining a campaign. Because a political campaign is often forced to be very scrappy. And so you're a 20-year-old, 21-year-old with enormous responsibilities. And it's scary. You have no idea what you're doing most of the time, but you have to figure it out. And through that process, I think it speaks to a point you made earlier in the interview about taking risks. You are pushed out of your comfort zone all the time. And what you come to realize when you're pushed out of your comfort zone and you survive to live another day is that, hey, this isn't so bad. And your skills, you're going to have like 10x growth in your skill sets. That's right. I mean, isn't discomfort a privilege? I mean, like, I can't imagine cruising through life, you know, in my career without discomfort. I think the reason that I've been able to build my own business at this point in my life is because I went through so many uncomfortable, difficult, challenging circumstances over the last 12 years that I know this isn't a completely true statement, but I feel like I've seen it all. And and I know I haven't, but I've certainly seen a lot of the challenges and the mistakes and the, the uncomfortable moments that the founders that I'm now coaching are going through. So I think that's a big benefit to young people is to get thrust into that type of environment. Justin's website. You can find him at www.theofficialjustin.com. And if you want to learn more about what Justin has done working for a number of different startups, the names of which you've definitely heard of before, ZocDoc being one of them, check out show notes to see if his main time for coffee interview has already dropped. Justin, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. This was wonderful. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at 
time, the number four, coffee.org, or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712.